What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and it is finally August. We are finally getting serious about fantasy football this offseason, which means that I spent pretty much all of Monday typing up, updating, refining my top 200 redraft rankings for fantasy football in 2023. That can be all found on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. You get my top 200 redraft, half PPR, full PPR rankings. And for each position and each player, I have them all tiered out. You can see target draft value tiers. So the players that have the eighth round draft value tiers are guys I'd be comfortable taking in the eighth round. It's not necessarily, you know, 12 players is eighth round, 12 players is ninth round. It's really just more so feel. And then from each update, you get the change, right? So James Cook is a guy we're going to mention in this video. He has gone up six spots since my last rankings update, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk through four players that have been skyrocketing up my redraft rankings for 2023. Guys who I'm sort of coming around on, guys that I've sort of had a change of heart with after doing some evaluation and some research over the weekend. So with all that being said, Make sure you check out the full rankings on patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. On top of the redraft rankings, you get my in-season weekly rankings. So, you know, if you have a flex decision or a wide receiver start-sit decision, you get that there on top of start-sit streams every Sunday for my patrons. You get a weekly waiver wire report where I drop an article every week on the Patreon where I go through how much fab to spend on each player and which guys I'm targeting off of waivers. And then on top of that, you get subscriber leagues, you get rest of season rankings in season, a bunch of stuff and more. So make sure you check it out. But as always... If you can't support there and you enjoy this video, make sure you down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Now, that wasn't the, the smoothest uh, clicking of the intro there, but we're here. And the first player we're going to talk about is a guy who was my 604 is my wide receiver 33 and is now my 507 as my wide receiver 30. So that's, I bumped him up about a round in three wide receiver spots, and this is kind of what it comes down to for him. We're talking about Tyler Lockett. And really what it comes down to is he's a six-round pick right now, and I'm just not convinced that Tyler Lockett should be a six-round pick while Deontay Johnson, Chris Godwin, and Marquise Brown are fifth-round picks. I just can't wrap my head putting those guys ahead of him. Now, of course... Tyler Lockett, it's a little bit more crowded now with JSN there, but I just don't think it's enough to move him behind these guys. We're talking about Tyler Lockett here, who over the last three years has been the wide receiver 15 in points per game. He has averaged 15.5 points per game over his last 48 games. The only guy in this bunch of four wide receivers of, again, Deontay Johnson, Godwin, and Marquise Brown is Chris Godwin ahead of him. And Chris Godwin's only ahead of him by 0.5 points per game, and he just had three straight years of Tom Brady, and he goes to Baker Mayfield. While we talk about Deontay Johnson and Marquise Brown, who over the last three years are both outside the top 20 wide receivers in points per game. So them being ahead of Tyler Lockett is a little bit tough for me to stomach, where Tyler Lockett's a guy who has done nothing but finish as a top 24 wide receiver every single year. He has finished as a top 24 wide receiver every single year, like the past four or five years. He's been insanely efficient. He's been insanely productive. And the Seahawks were a top 10 scoring team last year in their first team with Geno, in their first year with Geno Smith. Now they get Geno in his second year, commanding an offense, and you add JSN. This means they're probably going to pass more. You're going to have more pass attempts. You're going to see more efficiency, more touchdowns, more longer drives. And Lockett's never been a guy who wins on volume. He was just 26 in target share last year, despite being like a top 15 wide receiver in fantasy. He is never going to be a guy who has like a 30% target share and needs like all the volume in the world. He's a high A dot, you know, around 20% target share. And I don't really expect JSN to come in and really change that. I think JSN, if anything only really affects DK Metcalf's ceiling. I think Tyler Lockett's kind of unaffected by JSN 
in this offense. And I think the only other thing you can really worry about with Tyler Lockett is that he's getting older. But he's only 30. I think he's turning 31. And we can see in reception perception, he has not missed a step at all. Now, of course, reception perception is something that uh, a reception perception, I think I said that right, is by Matt Harmon. He does great work out there. Make sure you check out receptionperception.com. And we can see here, Lockett absolutely crushed last year. 96 percentile against man. I believe that was top five among all wide receivers. 86 percentile versus zone. 84th percentile versus press. He wins at all levels. And Matt Harmon wrote that Lockett has been a stud performer in reception perception his entire NFL tenure. But you can make an argument 2022 was his best season yet. He said his 78.9% success rate versus man coverage not only falls at the 95th percentile, it's also the best score of his career. He was also fantastic at beating zone coverage with an 83.4% success rate, the second highest mark of his career. Tyler Lockett has not slowed down a single bit at this point. Again, he's over 30, but he hasn't slowed down. He crossed reception perception. He had arguably the best season of his career, and he's going at wide receiver 30 prices, again, despite finishing top 24 in each of his last five seasons. So this is a guy with huge spike week potential. He's the perfect wide receiver three to draft on your team where he could just be a very nice wide receiver two that gives you meaningful spike week. So in the fifth, sixth round, I'm very much okay with drafting him, especially over those options that are on much worse offenses than Tyler Lockett. Now, after that, we have... James Cook, who I haven't been drafting a ton of. You can see 4.4% drafted on underdog. Your base rate of drafting should be about like 8.3%, so I'm about like half of where I should be on James Cook. But I've been pretty firm on fading him, but I think I was being a bit too harsh. I had him as my 907, as my RB35. I now have him as my 807, as my RB29. Now, he's still not really a guy I'm drafting. Like, I kind of prefer Rashad Bateman in that area. I prefer uh, Elijah Moore goes in that area. Zay Flowers, Michael Thomas. I'm usually taking wide receivers there because I like the running backs just after where you, you can get, like, Antonio Gibson and Charbonnet and a lot of these other profiles, Rashad Penny as well. Uh, but I still think that he's somebody that I have to put some, some sort of respect on, where this is still a running back on one of the best offenses in football, which is important. And his, profi- his prospect profile is like kind of interesting. Like He's not a great prospect by any means, but he was a second-round draft pick in the NFL. He played at Georgia. He's on the older side. He's already like about to turn 24, but he has 4-4 wheels. He caught passes in college. He's interesting. Now, he is undersized. He was never going to be a 300-plus carry back. He can kind of be like an Eckler, uh, Aaron Jones type, which I think sort of works when we're talking about a Bills offense, right? Like You can't really be a high-efficiency back in a bad offense, but in an offense that's going to be good, that's like a decent role to have, right? Like a 12 to 15 touch guy that's going to get catches and sort of be efficient in that way. Now, Naeem Hines was, I mean, as much as like Naeem Hines is a non-factor, he was a little bit of a concern for James Cook because they traded for Naeem Hines midseason last year. And Naeem Hines is at least a veteran with a lot of experience. And when you have a team like the Bills who are trying to win in a lot of games, they don't really want to have to bring along the second year guy. Naeem Hines probably a little more stable play to play in terms of like pass protection, third down and distance, long down and distance stuff two-minute drill, but that wasn't to say that James Cook wouldn't have a majority of those snaps. It's just that he might have been splitting them a little bit in terms of those situations, but now Naeem Hines had like a pretty terrible jet ski accident. He's out for the entire year, which pretty much opens up James Cook to be the undisputed passing down, you know, third down, two-minute drill back, which is really, you know, strong for his profile. Now, when we talk about him, he was surprisingly very efficient last year. So that whole idea of being like the next Eckler, Aaron Jones, it's a thin outcome, but he did show that he could be efficient. 
among 75 running backs last year with 50 or more touches he was sixth in targets per out run so on a per route basis he was commanding targets 15th in yards per out run he was 11th in receiving grade he had the fourth highest ADA among all running backs last year which is really impressive it means that he's not just taking checkdowns but he's actually running real routes downfield and then in terms of running between the tackles he wasn't terrible either he was 16th in explosive run percentage uh, he was tied for third in yards per carry he was fourth in rushing yards over expected per attempt so that's not bad right like he's got some juice he can rip off some long runs he can command targets really the main concern with me when it comes to James Cook is how much Josh Allen is actually going to throw to the running back because when it comes to James Cook he's not going to be the goal line back you have Josh Allen you have Damian Harris there he'll mix in there but that's not going to be where he makes his bread and butter how James Cook wins and crushes in 2023 is in a receiving role and I just have some concerns that Josh Allen isn't going to be the guy to unlock that skill set, right? When we look over this entire sample, this is a tweet from John Daigle. Josh Allen under center has been 23rd in RB target percentage or target share, 26th, 28th, 29th. Last year, 15th, though. So you can make the case that, like, they kind of made a concerted effort to pass more towards the running backs last year. Maybe that's a trend that continues here. But it's also a pretty massive sample of four years before that. And Josh Allen last year had the fourth highest average depth of target and the second most scrambles in the NFL. So he's, you know not really passing to the short areas of the field. He's just scrambling in those situations. So that's really the concern that I have. But again, I'm open to the idea that like when we're talking 2018 to 2021, we're talking like Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and like TJ Eldon and a bunch of like bad running backs. I think Frank Gore was in there too. So you can talk me into the upside. I'm not super high on him. I probably won't be at market with James Cook or James Cook, but I think I was just being a little bit too harsh with my ranking prior to that. So I moved him up. I think the Naeem Hines injury is actually a decent... Uh, plus going his way and once you get to like the eighth ninth round and like the wide receivers start to dry up I'm fine thinking of swing on James Cook just given his like sort of efficient profile his pass catching and being in a good offense like those are all good things to bet on now a player that I think is actually a really similar profile to James Cook and he's much cheaper is Devin Aitchin and I've actually moved him up a bunch here he was my 10-10 as my RB41 he's now my 904 as my RB35 so six running back spots and about a round and a half up my rankings and the reason that he was ever really down, like, in the 10th round area was really just because of Dalvin Cook, right? If Dalvin Cook ends up in Miami, then that's a pretty brutal blow for a guy like Devin H.M. where we sort of need him to get on the field and get touches and assume volume. He would, you know, presumably be, like, fourth in running back touches in week one, right, behind Jeff Wilson, Mostert, and Dalvin Cook. That's a pretty steep hill to climb for a rookie running back. But with each passing day, it seems more and more likely that Dalvin Cook is not going to be a Miami Dolphin, which is a really huge plus for HN. These were DraftKings odds as of July 28th. They've took them down since, but they had the Jets at first at minus 400, then the Patriots, then the Dolphins at plus 850. That's the third likeliest team to sign Dalvin Cook, and plus 850 is implied odds of 10.5% chance. So that's not a big enough chance for me to really take it seriously at this point. So it's just, it's enough. It's just not enough, right? 10.5%. It's just not enough for me to keep fading Devin Aitchin. I kept putting him in a spot where it's like, I'm not drafting him until we get some Dalvin Cook news. It seems like Dalvin Cook is going to slow play this. So I'm done kind of waiting for the news. And I just want to draft Devin Aitchin. He's a guy that I want to be betting on a ton because I think that he was a better prospect than James Cook. Similar profile. And I think this Miami Dolphins is much better suited for a back with that skill set where you aren't going to be uh, winning on volume, but on efficiency and in the passing game. And Tua is not a guy who's going to scramble. He's not a guy who's going to have a super high A dot. He is going to be involved in the passing game, Devin A-Chain. It's, it's much easier to see how he gets involved. Now, when we talk about Devin A-Chain, 
He's a really fun profile. 5'9", 188 pounds, so he's undersized there. But he has a ton of juice. He has 4'3 speed. He can catch passes. He had a 93rd percentile college share, college target share in college. I don't know why I said college target share in college, but of course, you get what I'm saying. And he was electric as a pure rusher. Like, even though he was undersized, he was really good between the tackles, where he averaged over 100 rushing yards per game in the SEC last year. Like, that's a big deal, right? We're playing against Alabama and LSU and all of these, like, crazy, crazy fronts. And he was still really good rushing the ball. He was better on a per-touch basis than Isaiah Spiller two years ago, who was an NFL running back. Like, on a per-touch basis, rushing the football, he's been great. Now, he gets to this Miami offense, and he's in the perfect setup here because we have Miami, who was the sixth-highest-scoring offense last year, and Tua is much more of your quarterback archetype that's going to target a running back, right, where he is a pocket passer, a guy who's going to check the ball down. He's not going to take off and scramble when the you know his first, second, third read isn't there. He's going to check it down. And we've even seen Tua, I think like Miles Gask might have had like almost a 50 catch season uh, a couple of years ago under like Tua and Fitzpatrick. And we have Devin Achan in here. He's by far the best receiving back in a room with like 31 year old Raheem Mostert and uh, Jeff Wilson, who's more of kind of between the tackles guy. And he fits perfectly in this like 49ers running scheme under McDaniel as this like outside zone speed back that can pretty much just do what Raheem Mostert has done over the last few years in this system. He has more juice than Raheem Mostert at this point. He can catch more passes than him. So it's really just a matter of when he sort of passes Raheem Mostert on the depth chart, becomes that slashing back, and then he also has the upside to be out there on passing downs, third downs, two-minute drill stuff. And just given his 4-3 speed, of course he's not going to be the goal line back, but he's going to have a lot of opportunity. Where you have Waddle out there, you have Tyree Kill out there, you have to respect it with the safeties. You're going to have like light boxes, and you're going to have huge huge splash plays from a guy like Devin A-Chain who is so fast can rip off really long runs I'm super excited about A-Chain again to me he's like a similar bet to James Cook he's cheaper I want to be in on Devin A-Chain I'm done waiting for Dalvin Cook to sign somewhere uh to then you know tell you that the water is warm to draft Devin A-Chain I would draft him now he's only going to get more expensive with this Dalvin Cook stuff so Devin A-Chain is a guy that I want to be drafting more of now our last player we're going to talk through here is Marvin Mims we've actually talked about him before uh, but Marvin Mims had kind of a stroke of luck. Uh, it kind of sucks because it's like injury related, but he was my 1301 as my wide receiver 66, and now he's my 1106 as my wide receiver 55. He's probably like the, the biggest riser in my rankings this week where he has gone up about, I think that, that that's going to be like a round and a half of rankings and then 11 wide receiver ranking spots. And we had Tim Patrick this week, really sucks. Tim Patrick tore his Achilles. And then KJ Hamler found that he had a heart condition. So he's now not going to play for, at the very least, like the first several weeks of the season. So we have a spot here where a lot of routes and a lot of targets just opened up for rookie Marvin Mims. And I think Jacob Sanderson puts it really well here. Uh, a guy who we've had on the channel a bunch. He said Denver now has the potential to be a su super consolidated team in terms of its routes. Mims now has a clear pathway to 80% plus route participation as soon as week one if he's able to earn it. I'm willing to chase him up near the 10th, 11th round given his profile. And pretty much what he's saying is the thing about rookie wide receivers, a lot of them can kind of just be zeros where they don't even like get on the field and produce or do anything. But we now have a very clear pathway here, sort of like uh, Jahan Dotson last year, where Marvin Mims can start in three wide receiver sets in week one. And that's really important for, the, for a rookie wide receiver to get on the field early, see routes, and then kind of hit that efficiency stride and that efficiency ceiling faster in season. Now, the reason that we're chasing rookie wide receivers is something that we hammer all the time. We have done nothing but just talk about this at nauseum the last couple of years. But rookie wide receivers are a really interesting bet because you can buy them for an 11th round price tag, right, with Marvin Mims. Or like Marvin Mims is like 13th, 14th, 15th round. They start out slow. 
but rookie wide receivers, unlike veterans, veterans get hurt and they, you know, fall off as the year goes on. Rookie wide receivers stack their points per game on the back end, right? So you have like your Christian Watsons and your Amon Ross St. Browns. I think Marvin Mims is a decent chance or a decent player to be one of those late season rookie wide receiver hammers here. And that's really interesting just given where you can draft him right now. I don't think that the market has really caught up in terms of realizing that Marvin Mims is going to be out there as a starting wide receiver in week one. And he is a player that I want to bet on because he is a good prospect as well. And we look at kind of how he graded out in my prospect model this offseason. He looks pretty good. He grades out as a second round gold prospect. He looks like a Deshaun Jackson, KJ Hamler, Brandon Cooks type. Of course, you're the downside of Nelson Aguilar and Diami Brown, but that's really not a big deal. And I think that he is a perfect fit. Of course, like second round wide receivers aren't going to be, you know, bust proof. We're getting this guy at like the 14th round price tags. The upside is there. And he's this perfect wide receiver where when you look at his height weight, he's like, uh, I think that's 70 inches. He's like 5'10", 183 pounds, runs like a 4'3". And he comps really well to these like Tyler Lockett, John Brown, T.Y. Hilton types, which is perfect for Russell Wilson in this Denver offense. He has thrived with that Tyler Lockett archetype in his years in Seattle. Now he gets almost like a clone of him in Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims is also similar to Tyler Lockett in that he can play outside, inside, every wide receiver position, which you know lends itself to him getting on the field early. And I don't have the data now. But Marvin Mims had a 16.7-yard A dot and a 19.5-yard per reception over his entire career, which is pretty wild. Like, that is got to be some of the highest marks for a college wide receiver. He's operating downfield, which is what you want with Russell Wilson. Like, he is the perfect, perfect archetype for what, what Russell Wilson likes to do. And now you get a nice Denver bounce-back opportunity here. I like betting on Denver. You have Sean Payton coming in, who's a much better head coach than Nathaniel Hackett. You have uh, Russell Wilson. His entire career, he's been efficient. Last year, he wasn't. That should bounce back to the mean. And you also have a division here with the Chiefs and the Raiders and the Col- or the Chargers. I don't know why I said Raiders. The Raiders don't really count. But you have the Chargers and the Chiefs, where this division is going to breed <clears throat> shootouts and coming back from behind and trying to you know keep up with Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And that's really exciting, where you're going to have times where Denver's down two scores in the second half, and, you know, they're dialing up go routes for Marvin Mims in, like, week nine, and he might just, like, absolutely smash that week. So I love Marvin Mims. I think that he's one of these guys where after, like, the first ten rounds and, like, you're debating between, like, your, like, Tyler Boyd, Zay Jones, like, DJ Charks of the world, give me the upside on a guy like Marvin Mims who can be just an absolute monster down the stretch in fantasy. Now, that is going to do it for us today. Just wanted to keep you guys updated on kind of what I've been doing with the rankings, players that have been moving up. As always, if you want access to the entire ranking sheet, That'll be on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart, my top 200. They're all ranked with tiers, and there's a checklist. You can create your own. You can print it out. You can uh, copy it and just check them off there. I have my, you know, how much they're moving up or down since last update. It's all tiered. It's all perfect. On top of that, you get my waiver wire uh, weekly report. You get my weekly rankings. You get my rest of season rankings. You get access to subscriber leagues, giveaways. I, I give away... I give so much value on the Patreon. Make sure you check it out. Patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. You get on my dynasty stuff, my prospect model stuff there. Anything that I'm working on, it can all be found there. But as always, if you can't support there, leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment. And as always, I will see you guys in the next one.